The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Connect Groups. Going through the Mark study, and the way I've designed it this morning is we'll have a little free time to talk up front. I'd like to just share some thoughts with you. Now that we've been through, this is our eighth lesson on this, our eighth lesson. Um, But first, we open with prayer. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the grace you've poured into our life in Christ Jesus. And and, uh, Lord, how that, that grace just opens up and it, it enriches our life. It, 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 our lives just open up, Lord, to the truth of your goodness and your graciousness in Christ Jesus. And not only to us, Lord, but to others. And, uh, and, and it's amazing how you put your church together. And for this, this such a thing as this, Lord, is the teaching of your word. And later we'll hear the preaching of your word. Lord, uh, and, and uh, we just remember the loving kindness that Jesus showed to his disciples. Lord, you show that to each one of us and help us to see that, Lord, and, and make that, that goodness a part of our lives that not only changes us, Lord, but changes us for the good of your kingdom and for your glory, Father, and for our own good, too. It's amazing how you do these things, Lord. We just love to look into it. So bless this time as it's taught and as, as it's received, Lord, and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So... You know, you know we, we, we go through a lot of theology, which is very good. But the amazing thing about it is, is it distills down into our own life, to each life, the way God does it. The, 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 if, if it's just theology, if it's just this thing that's talked about, it, it's, it's almost like it, it, uh, it's just us. But the Holy Spirit in our life, helps us to live these things out and that's that's what discipleship I think is really about the first church um, you know they they broke bread together they they looked at the word of God together they lived life together in a way that glorified God and others could see it and and uh, it even got to the point where Stephen you know he uh, he was taken by the authorities because they didn't like what was going on and he gave a testimony to them about the history of Israel and, and the way they had had abused God, basically. And, they're, they're, and he, you know, they're still doing it. And you don't listen to the Holy Spirit. You just don't, you won't do it. You won't do it. And we're going to look at that today. But discipleship helps us to live these things. And so, so we're not working against God. We're working with him. And that's what Jesus said, follow me. You'll work with me if you follow me. And... Uh, and so that's a, a discipleship. That's, it's, it gets into friendship, y'all. It gets into friendship. And it's daily living. You know, we talked about uh, the reality of divorce a couple weeks ago. And so that gets right at the root of a relationship between a husband and a wife that God set up from the beginning. But it has to be lived out practically. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's, all, it's like a discipleship relationship. We're to submit to the, the work of the Holy Spirit in, in our spouse's life because it's a help for us. 
we were made for each other. And, and, and the way God reveals that and, and reveals himself in that is just amazing. God's amazing and uh, it's wonderful. We can forget that though, we can forget. But this, this whole thing about relationships and, and, and friendships, and discipleship, that's what we're talking about here. We want to get it down into our lives. So if, as we look at the, the, the lessons here that Mark has gone through, the, you know, of course, the first one was uh, Peter gave the confession for all the disciples that this, you are the Christ. You are the one that God promised and sent. But remember, their, their theology is all wacky. They, they, they're, they're living in the theology of the day, which he goes over with them in each of the lessons, really, to, to show them that's the way the world does it, but that's not the way it happens in the kingdom of God. And, and so as we look at these lessons, uh, I mean, it, that's the first lesson, just knowing Christ and who he is. And then the second one is his, his uh, transfiguration. He's transfigured before him as proof of who he is for, for the three. Okay, and then for us too now as we, we have it in scripture. But then the lessons begin. The first lesson is on the disciples cannot cast out an unclean spirit from a young boy. And they're flummoxed. Jesus is not there. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with the three disciples and the nine are faced with they can't do it. So the lesson is the power of faith in, in life and in ministry. If we, don't, if we don't depend on Jesus, if we don't trust him and put our life in him, bless you. <laughs> if we don't trust him, our, the ministry in our life is going to fall, it be feel hollow, it's going to be shallow. But with Christ, all things are possible. He says it all throughout these lessons. With me, you can do all things. Okay? And, and uh, we have a tendency to want to do it ourselves. That's why Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Okay, this is the, that was uh, John MacArthur says that's the crown jewel of his teachings. Okay, and so we start to see, as God does so often, he as he walks you through life, this narrative is, begins to be created. Now, if you if you go back to the Old Testament and Adam and, and, and Eve, the, the name of all the men in the line from Adam to Abraham have meanings, and if you look at that, it's a narrative of God's heart in the gospel. It's what God's going to do. He's already purposed to do it. This is what he's doing. This is who he is. This is what he does. And he creates a narrative with the names of those men. And just like that, in these lessons, God's starting to show us our life as we walk in ministry in the Christian life. Okay, we have, First thing we have to do is trust Jesus. Faith, the, the accessing of power for ministry is through faith in Christ only, alone. It has to start there. It, does, it, it, it starts and ends there, by the way. The last lesson is also on faith in Christ and the ability, God's, Christ's ability to open the eyes of, of those who are blind, not just physically blind, but spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. So um, the second lesson, when you have this relationship with Christ, this friendship with Christ, guess what's going to start happening in your life? Y'all remember the second lesson? Anybody remember? Humility. Humility will start begin to invade your life, so to speak. And, and this is how you will start operating out of humility. It's, you start the, the virtue of knowing Christ. And, and because it's his, it's him, it's his humility that starts to break through in your life. So humility becomes a big part of ministry and big part of the Christian life. And then the next lesson 
is on radical discipleship. And if you remember, that's a lesson on, on really radical love. You know, it would be better for you, for if, if, if you if you cause one of these little ones to sin or if you offend one of these little ones, it would be better for you if, if a mulos anikas, the mule and the stone were tied around your neck and you're thrown into the deepest part of the sea. So he uses uh, uh, hyperbolic metaphor to show the, the, the seriousness of sin and that we, it's a call to love each other. That's what's going to start happening. You're going to start loving other Christians. And you're going to, you, you, the, the life of radical purity and radical sacrifice and radical obedience is all going to come into play in your life. And you'll do things you never thought you'd do before. It's, things start happening inside the church, okay? And then, in the fourth lesson, he talks about marriage, okay? Now, this is, the, this is the tightest bond of relationship. God does work here that he doesn't do anywhere else. The two shall become one flesh. That only happens with God and in marriage. Okay, the other stuff, God's not there, Okay? You can still have a physical relationship, but that's all it is. There's nothing going to come out of it that glorifies God, except for the fact that he made you, okay? And, uh, and he's, he's the one who's going to look at your life and judge your life. And, and of course, the, if, if adultery carried the death penalty, it was very serious, okay? And so, but you take the death penalty away, and all of a sudden, adultery becomes a accepted part of any of a culture. And it's all over the world, y'all. It's all over the world. That's not how God made it, okay? But he's, he's looking, we're looking at this narrative and he's talking about a covenant relationship where you are close, you're getting, here's how it works out in the physical world, in reality, in the physical world, okay? And the love you should have for your spouse, okay? The next one, he, wa- he leaves the house that we're in, he's doing his teaching and all of a sudden, up comes a rich young ruler and slides right in front of him on his knees. It's like he's sliding into second or something. He's got to have the answer to this. So as we walk through life and in ministry, we start living these things. People are going to literally just walk up to you out of nowhere probably and ask, what is going on? And so Jesus speaks to what's going on in this man's life. And he's, he exposes the fact that he's, he's given to the material world. The things of the material world are so important to him, he can't let go. And, and so now we get to the lesson we're at today uh, of God's perspective on, on spiritual wealth, what it means to be spiritually wealthy, not worldly wealthy, okay? Um, so y'all, y'all, you see the narrative that's starting to form here, that, that, that it's not started. He's God's op- exposing, he's, he's revealing the narrative of a Christian life here. Okay, as we walk through this. And, and, and so we're, we, he wants us to disciple each other and live it. So we're teaching here, but at some point in your day, I hope you talk about these things with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors, about this, this love that God has and what he's done for us and, and the fact that we're not good. And that's the great deception. We're good, right? That's what the, the, whole, the whole world, you ask anybody out there, they're good people. You know, the reality is the Holy Spirit comes upon you, convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the last thing you would call yourself is good. Without Christ, we are nothing. We are nothing. We're worse than nothing. We're gonna, people that don't have Christ, they're going to end up where they don't want to end up. But they don't even know it. Okay? 
So they don't know what's going on in their life. This is, God prepares all this for his glory and reveals himself for his glory, okay? So do you have any, guys have any questions or comments at that point? Because I'm going to go into this teaching and it's going to be like a teaching. It's going to be, you know. You don't have today's? So, so, that's one of my favorite words, I guess. I say it all the time. So, out of this moment, we're going to get into the teaching now. Out of this moment of the rich young ruler and him walking away disheartened, sad about, you know, he, I guess he's confused. There, there's just stuff going on there. And he's very sad. He just leaves Jesus. And I got to say, y'all. People that leave, they leave a relationship, they leave because things aren't going well in a job. It's, it's one of the, the, the things that lost people, it's almost like they can't help it. They have to leave because they're not getting their way for whatever reason. Leaving is a big, if you look at scripture, scripture, it talks about leaving, just leaving people and abandoning and forsaking people. And God used to do that in the Old Testament, didn't he? But what does he say now? I will never leave you or forsake you. This covenant is on my terms, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Doesn't happen. Christians will endure. Okay? They'll never say, well, I, I, I never believed in God, really, after years of ministry. They'll never say that. They wouldn't, a Christian wouldn't. <laughs> Would, would rather have their tongue cut out probably than say something like that. But that was Peter. That was all of us until Peter, Peter, you know, he would never do it again. I mean, he, he learned the lesson. He learned. And, and he had to know Jesus to do it. He had to walk with Jesus to learn that, okay? So here we have this rich young man in this conversation. Uh, and out of it, Jesus teaches his, his disciples a crucial, crucial lesson about riches and poverty. Okay, the effect of riches and poverty, worldly riches and poverty, and, and heavenly riches and poverty. Teaches them this lesson. So first he teaches them about the poverty of earthly riches. The poverty of earthly riches. In verse 23, okay, Jesus looks around. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, he probably looked around because uh, there were more than just the apostles there. Uh, uh, just, there's probably a crowd there, a big crowd with him, and he's, he's making eye contact, and he's taking stock of who's there, perhaps uh, making eye, eye contact with certain people he knew that fit into that category. 
of those who were rich. Okay? He then said to his disciples how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and how hard it will be. Okay? And so, y'all, I think y'all understand that to hear, for hearing, the disciples to hearing that was shocking. It was shocking for everybody to hear that because of the theology that was being practiced and everybody believed was the way to God in Israel at that time. Okay? It was a shocking statement. Okay? Uh, and so we, we would look at the church here and say, there's not many noble, not many mighty, not many lowly and humble. We're the nobodies, the nothings, okay? So why is it so hard for, for really rich people to enter the kingdom of God? Um, so we could, we could uh, do a fairly good job of lining up some psychological answers to the question, why is it so hard, okay? Um, first, we could say the rich live with a false sense of security. The rich live with a false sense of security. They, they lack desperation. Okay, they're, they're smugly confident of their own dependency on themselves, having gotten them to where they are. They've, they've gotten there because of what they've, what they've done. Their accomplishments are because of them. Okay, they're happy. They're confident. Okay. In the language of Paul, writing in 1 Timothy 6.17, uh, they tend to be conceited and fix their hope on uncertain riches. This is the nature of being rich. They, they are not looking for resources beyond themselves. So it's sort of, of a smug success that makes it hard for the rich to be interested in coming into the kingdom of God and having everything provided for them by God because they're doing so well providing it for themselves. Okay, secondly, we could say about the rich that they tend to be uh, bound to this world. They're consumed with earthly enterprises. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, in, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. And what are the, these kinds of evil? The love of money uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. It's, it's, it's using every possible means, legitimate and illegitimate, to accumulate the money that you so greatly love. They become like the fool in Luke 12, verses 16 to 21, who, who had so much, and he said, I'll just keep accumulating more and more and building bigger barns and eat and drink and be merry. And the Lord came to him that night, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. But that's how it is with wealthy people. And we understand a little bit about this, a little bit about the psychology of that. We also understand the rich are selfish, like the rest of us, even the poor folks. Okay? They do what they, they do for self-fulfillment, for self-pleasure, for self-gratification. They do not want... Uh, they, they do what they want to elevate themselves into an easy life. Life becomes easy for them. That's what they seek. It elevates their status in life to get more stuff so they can display themselves more. This is about pride and self-indulgence. 
indulgence, like the story Jesus told in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich, rich man ate sumptuously and ignored the beggar. That is what rich people do. They may do some token charity in some direction, but it does not, uh, as long as it doesn't affect their lifestyle, that's what they do. They'll do as much as they need to do to keep people off their back, but they won't. That's all they'll do, okay? Now, I have a, something in the Old Testament that I look to when I hear about these things. It's, it's uh, Elijah. And after the Lord dried up this, the brook Cherith and he sent him to the, to the widow woman, it, they were in the land of uh, Sidon. And if, if you don't know, uh, didn't know at that time, there was a, uh, uh, the queen of Israel, so to speak, King Ahab, had married the king of Sidon's daughter. Okay, her name was Jezebel. So where did God send Elijah? To the backyard of the king of Sidon because he did not care about the poor. It was like they were invisible. And Elijah would be safe there. They don't care about the poor. That's what, that's what this, I think the scripture is implying. The wealthy, it was a nice place for him to hide because no, she would never think to look in her own father's backyard for Elijah or King Ahab because they're poor. There were poor people there and they didn't care about the poor. They never, nobody ever looked there. They never went there. They didn't care. That's up. Um, that happens a lot in this world, okay? So Galatians 2.10, in the New Testament, Paul says this, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So the poor is, is a big part. Those who are, who are down, downcast, downtrodden, who don't have what the, the wealth of this world or become Paul's interest. That's the very thing I, I was eager to do. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. And so it's impossible in one sense, psychologically, for rich people to come to a true entrance into the kingdom because they are so self-sufficient, so self-reliant, so self-centered, so convinced of their own success, and they're inextricably entangled with the things of this world that they have obtained, that we could say it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as true as this is, Jesus takes this a little bit further. The Lord says, uh, this is a very religious man also. He's not just wealthy, he's religious. Okay? It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the context of Israel, these are religious people who are wealthy, and, and according to their theology, they were wealthy because they were blessed by God, because they had wealth. God had blessed them. If you were wealthy and healthy, blessed. If you were poor, sick, you're cursed. That was the theology. That was how they measured their spiritual and their wealth, and it was according to their earthly wealth. Okay. So the idea was that a very religious man like this, who was very wealthy, would be easily able to enter the kingdom of God because he had so much money he could buy all the animal sacrifices the law required. 
It's another reason. He could, he could keep all the law. And, and, and by doing so, uh, you know, uh, others might have to take a lesser animal, like a, like a, a lamb that, was with, with, that had spots. They couldn't afford the, the, uh, the lamb without a spot. Or maybe even a lesser animal like a, a bird. You could, you could sacrifice doves. The poor had to purchase them and, and buy doves. Okay? Okay. But this young man had the money to purchase as many sacrifices as he wanted. So he was, he was in good with God. Okay? And since God was pleased with him, it kept escalating. Okay? They would acquire more and more and up the ladder of spiritual confidence they would climb in their own eyes and in the eyes of those around them, okay? And of course, the, the, the religious leaders of the day knew this, and they promoted it. This, this was the Judaism of the day. The Talmud, which is a Jewish a, a collection of Jewish writings by the rabbis, says this. <clears throat> Almsgiving is more excellent than all offerings and is equal to the whole law. In other words, if you give alms, you have virtually kept the whole law, and this will deliver you from the condemnation of hell and make one perfectly righteous. You do this, all your problems with God are taken care of. The, the priests will pray for you, they'll take care of it. This was their system. Okay, so when Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, this is, this is completely counterintuitive to the disciples. It's completely counterintuitive to them. They don't get it, and it's shocking to hear. So remember, they had they'd come to faith in Christ, and Peter uh, will again make the confession again in verse 28, we'll see, as we'll see in verse 28. But they still had all this... this uh, Baggage, all the stuff of the legalistic system that the Jews had been going on with for years. Okay, they still saw wealth as a sign of divine blessing and as a means of entering the kingdom of God, because you bought your way in with giving. They were very much in the same theological zone as Job's less than helpful friends. You remember those three? Okay. The rabbis would have probably would have agreed with Job's friends, okay? And so, so Jesus says something shocking, how hard it is, how hard it would be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, and when the disciples heard this, they were amazed. It says in verse 24, they were amazed. Amazed, Okay? It is hard, hard for respected, elevated, religious young man to enter heaven, to be saved, to receive eternal life. How hard is it for everybody who's, who isn't rich then? If it's, it's hard for them, what about everybody else? They don't have a chance according to this system, okay? This is a very uh, important lesson, don't you think? that it's hard to receive eternal life because it appears that in modern evangelicalism, most people think it's easy, okay? Just say a prayer, say a few words, 
but it's not that at all, is it? It's hard for, for us to do it. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven and try to do it, it'll be very, very hard to do it. His disciples are, are so stunned by this, Jesus re repeats it. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Not just for the rich, it's just hard to enter the kingdom of God, period, for everybody, okay? Well, how hard is it? Verse 25 says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, this is, this is, an, uh, this is an expression that, that's found in, in uh, writings outside the Bible. Okay, but it's a Jewish idiom. Okay, and Jesus is using it, again, the hyperbole to show that it's, it's not just hard, it's impossible. It's impossible for man himself to enter the kingdom. You can't do it. We should stop thinking that way. You can't do it. Okay. It reflects something that can't happen. Okay. Simply, that's all it is. It's simply impossible. Okay. What a statement. They were, they were even uh, more astonished in verse 26. It was, reads, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus is correcting their errant theology here. But they are still hanging on to the vestiges of the old system. They just don't get it. Okay? There are statements that our Lord makes that shows it's a narrow gate and few find it. Many would seek to enter the kingdom through, um, uh, and, and they wouldn't, won't be able. In Acts 14, 22, it says that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. But that's not what he's saying here. Okay, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is entering the kingdom of God and salvation on your own terms is impossible. You can't do it. Okay. And so we pick it up in verse 26. Peter asks, who then can be saved? They ask, who can be saved? If not the rich, then who? Who is it can be saved? And Jesus answers with this very sweeping statement, looking at them, catching their eye, okay, engaging them so that they listen to what he's saying. It says, with people, it is impossible. So, and we need to stop right there. With people, it's impossible. We've said that over and over, right? So, any more, you, you, you can't save yourself any more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. Just can't do it. That's, it's impossible, okay? The sinner, by his own power and his own will and his own money and religion and morality, cannot save himself. Cannot do it. We're not talking about the fact that it's a misconception, okay, that these, uh, the, the, the legality of it, to, to think you can buy your way in, okay? And it's not until you know you can't buy your way in that you can actually get in. Okay, it's not just you knowing. It's more than that. What we're learning here is that the sinner has no power in himself to be saved. Absolutely none. This is, the, this is the language of Jeremiah 13, 23, which says the Ethiopian can't change his skin. The leopards cannot change their spots. And neither can you or me 
do good who are accustomed by nature to doing evil continually. Okay? This is the, the, the one great foundational state. This is one of the great foundational statements on the problem of human depravity. Human depravity. The sinner is stuck in an impossible situation. Stuck. Both rich and poor are equally in the same situation. Now I want to look at, I want to look at uh, uh, Deuteronomy 30. Just for a second, go to Deuteronomy 30. There's the, the, they're going to be on the screen here. And there's going to, we're going to go through three verses here real quick. But it's, it's, the first verse talks about this exact same thing that Jesus is talking about. And then in the sixth verse, he's talking about how God's going to fix it. And then in the, in the 11th and 12th, 13, 14 verses, he talks, he talks about how God's going to spread this throughout the earth. The gospel is going to go to all the earth. So Moses is being prophetic, <coughs> excuse me, prophetic here. <coughs> Moses is being prophetic in each of these three instances. <coughs> excuse me. Okay. So Deuteronomy is the second reading of the law. They're getting ready to enter the land. Moses says a good teacher is reminding them that you've got to keep the law. You can't do it without the law. And, of course, they couldn't do it, okay? The law, and is, is, if it's only the flesh, then the law kills. The word, it kills, and, and, which is exactly what's supposed to happen. But the spirit brings life, okay? So in Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, Moses says this to the people of Israel. And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, that's, that's chapter 28. There's like... 14 verses of blessing and 40 verses of cursing. And in the, on the curses on, the, the verses on curses, the verses on curses, he says, the worst thing that could happen is you'll be taken out of the land. That's how you know when you've really messed it up. God's done with it, you, okay? So it says here, when, when you, these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. What is he saying? That's prophetic, y'all. He's talking about the future. You're going to be driven by God to the enemies, uh, the land of your enemies. You're going to be taken out of the land. You have, you have not kept the law, and the curses have come upon you. And what Moses is saying is, you know what to do, but you won't do it we can't do it we can't it's the exact same thing Jesus is saying here with man it's impossible if you do it without God it's, it's going to be impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven much less live a, a, a life here Okay, which is what we're called to do not just here but we're, we're also called to heaven to be with him forever but he's saying here you won't be able to do it. And even though you know to do it, you still won't do it. It's a, it's a real problem in the world, isn't it? You see that happen in the world today? People know the right thing to do, but they do whatever they want to do. Okay, if you go to verse 6 now, here's the good news. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all. There, so you know the verses. You know the verses. I don't have, it's like Joe Biden. You know what I'm saying. I don't have to say it. 
because people get mad if I say it and they hear me say it. But anyway, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. This is the gospel, folks. God is going to do surgery. He does surgery on people's hearts. You and I need to be changed, and God does the, the work. Again, it's prophetic. It's looking at the cross. Okay. However, it's already happened in the life of some of the Israelites, according to his promise. Okay. In the Old Testament, and there are people who, who are faithful and who, who are with God. But for the most part, we're looking at they, they, even those people couldn't do it unless God had come to them. They would have never done any of this without God coming to them. So then in verse 11, 12, 13, 14, we're just going to look 11 and 14. This is the gospel going out, okay? Okay? The commandment I give you today is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, in your heart, so that you can do it. You don't have to go across the sea. You don't have to go to heaven. Just it's, it's been brought to you. Now you can do it. Now all that's left is for you. Are you willing to do it? That's all that's left. So back to uh, Mark. Um, again, without God doing the work, he must do the work. It's impossible for us to get into heaven without, without him doing the work. Without people who, who, who uh, are... With people who are without God's work, it is impossible. If people don't have God in their lives, it's going to be impossible. They're not going to make it. Okay? However, and this is God, the good news, with, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. In verse 27, all things are possible with God. He says it over and over. Okay? Um, so in Luke 1, that same phrase of, of, uh, of uh, impossibility, okay, is applied to the virgin birth, okay? That's an impossibility, right? But it's in the same category of, of impossible, okay? One having to do with the virgin birth of Christ, which is a divine miracle. It's God stepping into his creation, okay, for a purpose, the other is, is having to do with the, the reason for that purpose, the, re, the regeneration of a sinner. Okay, they're both divine miracles from above, and they're both spoken of as it's impossible for men. It's impossible. But with God, it's possible. He can do these things, okay? In John 1.12, it opens up with, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, of, but of God. It's pointing us right to God in salvation. Look at John 3. Nicodemus says in his heart, what do I do to be born again? And Jesus says, you need to be born again, but that which is born of the flesh is what? It's flesh. You need to be born from above, okay? You need to be born of the Spirit. Only God can do that work. Of regeneration and it's a divine miracle and it's only possible with God so how does this uh, practically come down to the sinner okay what are we what are, as sinners what, what what has to happen in our lives what do we do practically doesn't God want us to do something okay all you can do as a sinner is if you're at that point where you desire to repent and be saved and, and you're desiring 
the life of God, and you know you're a lawbreaker, and you want to enter the kingdom of God and leave the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, all you can do is cry out to the God and this God and ask him if he would be gracious enough to save you because it's his work to do. All we can bring is our sin, y'all, and he takes care of it. Those are our works. Okay. So you don't get in by a formula. You don't get into heaven by a formula or a program. You don't get in by being religious or moral or rich or giving alms. It can't come from a human viewpoint. It just can't. It's Ephesians 2. It's of grace, not of works, okay? Lest any man should boast. And it's a gift of God, okay? So what we need to understand here, looking at poverty and riches, is that earthly riches cannot buy spiritual riches. You can't do it. Earthly riches, when clung to, will make you spiritually bankrupt. Let me say that again. If you cling to earthly riches, you will become spiritually bankrupt. If that's the main thing in your life, doesn't say you can't be wealthy, just don't cling to it. We need more time, Greg. Can you make that happen? <laughs> oh. We... <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's flip this over now. We've looked at the, 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, poverty of earthly wealth. Let's look at the, the wealth of, of poverty. Okay. In verse 28, Peter began, begins to say, uh, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Okay, we've done exactly what the rich young man wouldn't do. He left, we didn't. We stayed, okay? You've said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, and we've done it. In fact, we have left everything and followed you. Okay? We've abandoned it all, our families, our fishing nets, our boats. We left it all, and we're following you. And when the others along the way have forsaken you and left, we're still here. So in Matthew 19, 27, Peter says, what shall we have therefore? And he's saying, what's in it for us? Just a way of saying, what's in it for us? What do we get out of this? Okay. We're the poor. And what does our spiritual riches look like? We don't see it yet. Help us with this. And so here's Jesus's answer. You ready for this? This is Jesus' answer. In verses 29 and 30, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake, not purely as an act of philanthropy, okay, but for the sake of Christ, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age Husbands, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, those who truly follow him, they will receive a hundred times as much. And in, not only now, now but there's, there's three, three areas he's talking about. 
There's now, there's the kingdom to come, and then there's eternity. Okay? So one in the pres present age. Okay? What does he mean by this? Uh, he, he means basically the church. Look around, y'all. Y'all are you're God's family. God puts you in his family. This is a huge blessing, a huge blessing that God does. Okay? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? You've gained the family of God. This is the first wealth he's referred to, the universal church. Okay, it's a wonderful thing to consider, to meditate upon. We should do it often. Okay? You don't really give up family. You get true family. You know, with unbelieving families, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword to set a man against his father, against his mother. Whoa. Okay. But we're in a, a larger family now, okay? We're a small portion of the family in this present age, and we're actually part of the promised blessing that God promised to each of us. You guys are blessing to me. I'm I hope I'm blessed. I, I want to be. I pursue that, y'all. I know I don't always do very well, but I, I, I pursue it. Okay? This is how a spouse and a, and, a, and a husband should pursue each other. Okay? To be helpful to each other. But it's not only in this present age, he also speaks of, of the millennial kingdom. And uh, this, is called, uh, this is called the paleogenesis. Palingenesis, palingenesis, which is a regeneration of the earth. It also is referred to in Titus, it's a regeneration of a person, but this is speaking to a regeneration of the earth. The earth is going to be regenerated, a millennial kingdom. We're not going to get into that too much because I'm, I'm lacking in time. I've got to kind of skip through some of this, okay? But also, there, that's the second thing. The third thing is in eternal life. We're going to have, so there's, there's huge, these are the blessings that God promises to his people, to those who come to Christ. Okay. This is, uh, you know, we, we think, uh, you know, okay, we've left everything. And what do we get? Well, I tell you what, you can't outgive God. And you guys know that. I hope you remember that often. You cannot outgive God. Okay. Now, um, I want to look at, uh, at verse 30 here. So Jesus, uh, he throws in this thing about persecution. You know, he kind of drops that in there. So, you know, one of these things is not like the others. All these blessings and then, and then persecution? What's he talking about? Why would he throw that in there? Okay. Um, and it's, it, 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 how can that be a good thing? But it is a good thing. It is a good thing. Okay. I don't think the disciples understood it when they, when they heard it, when Jesus said it, but the time came when they did understand it, and it's a good thing. And here's the passage from Acts 5, verses 40 and 41, okay? Tina, could you bring those up real quick? Because I don't have those. You're doing something else? That's okay. <laughs> She's getting it. So in, in Matthew 5, verse 40 and 41, I should be able to remember this. But I, Say again? Uh, Matthew, Matthew, five, twenty-one, thirty, and twenty-one. 
Basically, Jesus says, uh, Acts, I can tell you what it is, Acts 5, they just came from the council, the council who had just turned Jesus over to be executed. The, 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 the apostles um, heard about this. Uh, the, 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 they, they saw what the disciples were doing, and they brought them before the council. And the apostles, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then Acts 41 is what we really need. She's typing them in. I thought we... Basically, he, said, he says they rejoiced that they were counted to suffer, y'all. He rejoiced that they were counted to suffer. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of his name. Okay? In other words, uh, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure they, that at this point they'd remembered what Jesus said in Mark 10 about He's spoken earlier of rewards when it comes to suffering. Jesus is talking about rewards. If you suffer things for his name, you are going to receive rewards. Whoa, what's that about? Okay. So when Jesus allows persecutions to come into our lives, okay, he's allowing it for the purpose of blessing you later on with rewards. And so that others can see his glory now. Okay, the persecution, if, you, if we follow, if we stay with Jesus, we don't get all caught up in what's happening to us and I can't live through this and all that. I mean, that's, that's very tempting. But if we stay with Jesus, there's rewards to be gotten, y'all. This is where we all receive the same salvation of those, those three things, the, the blessings of family of God, uh, the, the uh, millennial kingdom, and the life eternal. But we also get rewards at the Bema Seat judgment. And that's what these persecutions that are brought into our life, difficulties that are brought into our life, God is giving us an opportunity to serve him in ways that honor him beyond what we would normally do. And, and, and the rewards are huge. Okay. We need to know this now. We need to prepare for this now. On this side. We need to know that about, about walking with Jesus. Okay, about being a disciple. Um, and, and in verse uh, Matthew five eleven, thank you, Tina. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. There it is again. Your reward is great in heaven. They remembered that when they walked out of the council. They'd suffered for Jesus' name. Okay. In Philippians 10, now we're going to finish with this. We'll end with this. Philippians 10, 3.10 says that, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul knew this was a blessed condition that was offered to some people in Christ to be able to actually share in the sufferings of Christ. Not everybody's going to have to do that. It's, it's God's the one who's in, who controls that. But there are people who suffer for the name of Christ and their reward. There's a reward for that. Okay. Paul knew there was a great reward. And this, this is coming. The reward comes because these persecutions are coming. And, and God's people will endure. Okay. Now, we don't know how this, this parable will play out in real time, but we ne can never forget we serve the one who says to us, listen 
to me. My ways are not your ways. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. We need to remember that going into these uh, in, in going into it, there probably will be some surprises. When I talk about going, when we go into heaven, there are probably going to be some surprises. Okay, about the rewards being handed out. These people that get probably get go first, the first or last, the last first. The people that go first are probably the the, the widow woman in Hungary that was on her knees half of her life or most of her life, praying for the people of Hungary and her family. Okay, nobody ever knew about her, but God knew about her. She didn't publish a book. She wasn't have a blog on the internet. Okay, those people who in the world are first and who are Christians, they they may end up being last when it comes to getting the rewards. Oh, there's Ligon. Okay, so whoever desires truly to inherit the kingdom must inwardly must be inwardly free of the dominance of pride and confidence in his own religion and goodness. The illusion of righteousness must, must be willing to suffer his self-confidence, his family, his pleasures, his wealth, okay? And confess, right? To confess his sinfulness, his inability to please God on his own, must be willing to esteem Christ more precious than anything or anyone. Christ is the great Savior, so great a Lord that he would be given, we would give up anything and anyone, everything and everyone, abandoning everything for Christ. The forgiveness and spiritual promise that comes with Christ is what's offered. Are, are you willing? This is, this, is a, this is a big deal. To be willing is God's only requirement for a sinner, to be willing. Are we willing? Let me take a peek at the time. Oh, we're over. Let me pray for us, y'all. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this walk with you, this time with you, uh, uh, to, to speak of your, your word together and to look at, at the, uh, how you've loved us, Lord, and how you love the lost, how you love the lost people like us. We, we, we had to be regenerated, Lord, and you've done it in Christ. With you, all things are possible, Lord. Help us to receive these things. And Father, follow hard after you. And love each other in, 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 the, in the relationship of a disciple that you've given to us in Christ. A deep friend, Lord. We need each other. And, and we, we, just, we love you for these things, Lord. And, and uh, ask you to bless the services now as we, as we turn to your word being preached, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.